0: Morning mate, how are you? I'm very well thank you welcome all to My Life, My Music with the Governor Alan Hudson as we take a trip down memory lane through chapter and verse and in this edition it's going to be New Year, Fresh Hope and Shine on Hoodie
1: Yeah there's something about New Year uh, in my life mate, it's... um... Even to the extent away from football, uh, I was looking forward in 1997 to enjoy uh, Christmas and New Year, and I missed it um, for being hit by a car. So you know, so there's it's always uh, always a bit anxious around that time of the year, my friend.
0: Absolutely, and we're going to start there because I, I did uh, reference Shine On Hoodie, and there's a great story about Betty Shine, and it does lead us into a classic with um, TD holding your hand while you're in a coma. There's also a lovely little humorous story about Doddy, not Ken, but Alan. So let's start with Betty Shine, and how did she connect with you, or more importantly, how did you connect with Betty Shine, whilst you were in a coma? Uh, well, I was on, um,
1: I can't remember what um, the the date of, you know, I remember yeah. the last thing I can remember, 15th of December, 97, um, walking home and uh, the rest is history. I And then uh, all of a sudden I was seeing up in, when I'd come down out of the coma and coming off the, I'd, I think I'd come off the morphine by then. I, I received my first phone call from uh, uh, Betty, and um, I'm not too clear about um, if my family had told me all about it by that time. But um, she introduced herself on the phone and told me all about it. She told me how um, she was working for the Daily Mail at the time. She had a she was doing a I don't know, it's a weekly or a, a daily column. I I would imagine a weekly column in there, because uh, she used to work for the um, Scotland Yard and stuff like that, um, solving cases that they couldn't solve. And um, and she said she was having a morning co- uh, morning coffee over a Daily Mail, uh, and she read a uh, uh, just a tiny snippet at the bottom saying that. Uh, I would, I'd been hit by a car, and uh, told me, uh, told her that, you know, I who I was a, a quite a famous footballer who played for, you know, whoever, 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 and she knew nothing about me. So, uh, and at that moment, as she was reading it, I I cried out to her for help. Uh, help me! Help me! And uh, so, and, and then she contacted my family, and uh, told them, told it, told them it wasn't a hoax, and would they mind uh, if they if she spoke to me? And uh, the the next the next thing from there was, um, she said she can she can find out a little bit more. Um, how she got my how she got my number was um, Paul was she used to uh, do healing with Kevin Keegan's wife and um, she said uh, I'll ask I think her name is Jean is it she said I'll I'll ask uh, his wife if if she'll ask Kevin you know if if we were friends and uh, about contacting me And uh, he helped her. So that's how it all came about.
0: It's a quite unbelievable story because she was telling uh, your wife at the time information about you that that only the family could have known because it was personal information, and also with your sister at the time living in in a house, she um your dad had not long uh, passed hadn't he, and she was shouting out for your dad for help, and a and a, and a crucifix <laughs> appeared, and it's it's still embedded in that wall to this day, isn't it?
1: Well, it's, it's still there. My sister since moved, but it's, it was it kept coming up um. But what happened was she was, my sister was uh, in her flat that night and she was talking to another family member and she was very, very upset. And, uh, and the young girl sitting on the settee said, I don't want to frighten the life out of you, but turn around. And uh, she looked on the wall and the, uh, there was a, a crucifix come up on the on the wall and uh, uh, you know, when I first found out, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't doubt it. I, uh, I believed it obviously because I I, 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 I actually do believe in stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, but, um, Julie's boyfriend came in from work that night and ran out of the house. He was petrified. Yeah. So you know, there was, and there and they, Julie said that every time that um, she got a call or someone told her that. I was very, very seriously ill, that uh, it was touch and go, that uh, it would come up, you know, it would die, it would kind of uh, die down when I was safe and come up when I was in danger. So you know, it was quite, quite extraordinary, really.
0: It's an incredible story and your your mum and the family were there every day and your mum would bring food for the nurses and and, and so on and you had a few visitors, uh, Tony Davis being one of the visitors and it does lead us nicely into the first song. Um, Even the nights were better when uh, you two were sharing better moments in New York and he was singing to you, wasn't he, while he was in the coma apparently.
1: Well, it's, um, that, you know, I, we found air supply, uh, yeah. I found air, but Tony used to come and stay with me in Seattle and, um, uh, he'd come over for two weeks and stay for about three months, you know, and, um, we, we loved the life out there and, uh, air, air supply were a big part of it. And, um when I came out of the coma and people were telling me stories, you know, that was one of the stories. And I, I said to him, you know, that, that wasn't a very appropriate song, you know, uh, yeah. even the nights of that, I said, because we because no one knew at that time if I was coming out of the coma yeah. or not, or, you know, if they were going to turn off the life machine or whatever. So, um, only, only little TD could do that to me, you know, uh, but that, that's the way it is. It's a, it's a great song. He knew it was one of my favourite songs and we used to sing it all the time. So, you know, it it it, it must have had some kind of effect on me.
0: Absolutely. And they, they produced um, or recorded four studio albums whilst you were in America. Uh, coincidentally, the first one was Life Support in 79, Lost (laughs) in Love, yeah, I know, Lost in Love, (laughs) 1980, the one that you love in 1981, and Now and Forever in 1982, and Graham Russell and Richard Hitchcock, absolute... I mean, you've introduced me to Air Supply. I remember I'm All Out of Love when I was a kid, and I I do remember a couple of of hits that they had, but the power of love for two to own that record.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Uh, the the amount of people come in my house. I mean, I had a beautiful bar in Seattle and we'd always have music on and they walked straight into the bar and, you know, we did a lot of socialising there and, you know, and the amount of people who said to me, she's got a beautiful voice and it it just made me smile, you know. But like like you, I heard um, All Out of Love, you know, before was one of the first songs I heard of theirs. But but I never really give much. I never give it much thought after that. I never really followed them. I never. It wasn't until I got to America because I suppose it was because they wasn't very big in England. I don't think they toured England. If they did, they didn't go down too well or. Mm whatever, uh, you know, what the music industry was like at that time. But it wasn't until I reached America, I suppose I lived a, a completely different life in America than I did in England that, you know, I, I kind of uh, built my own nightclub at home. <laughs> um, and uh, I really, you know, I listened to their music all the time and the people, I mean, the, the, I, I had people come in my house that, you know, would just... You know, thanked me months later for introducing me to that kind of music and uh, and they would go out and buy, the, buy their um, albums and, you know, uh, cassettes at that time. Uh, they made such a, you know, they, they kind of made life so much uh, brighter for me while I was out there.
0: And the uh, the story before we move on to uh, we're going to go back to the beginning in 6970 shortly, Al. But um, Doddy, when uh, Doddy come and uh, spoke to you, and there's a great little story about uh, Alan, not Ken.
1: Well, Alan, Alan, um,
0: for those listeners or whoever out there,
1: you know, I I always try and get my point across about Alan Doddy's... He, He was a young kid uh, when I got there I'd never heard of and uh, he um, had only played a a few matches in the first team when I got there and I was a record signing and uh, he took my eye straight away. He was just uh, an incredible player. Uh, But it wasn't just on the field, it was off the field. He uh, he was so unassuming. He didn't want to be a footballer. He, he, He wanted to retire from the game when he was 20. Because he preferred to be a roofer, and um, I still see him up in Stoke now. Um, I love him to death. He's, he's you know, he's just a, a great kid uh, who, who's got this. Uh, had this amazing ability to play centre half. He wasn't big and strong. He was, he was pretty much. It was pretty much my stamp, uh, but could run. You know, he could. He he he, he was doing marathons when he was forty odd. He, you know, he could run all day. He was, he was, he was naturally fit, naturally gifted, um, brilliant in the air, brilliant, you know, on the floor. Did it, it made everything look simple, made the game look to, so ridiculously simple, you know, uh, and it was just, it was one of those things again in English football that. Um, if you played for a back street club, you know, and no matter how good you was, you wouldn't get selected for the country. You know, in them days, in those days, uh, the national team was, you know, all about Manchester United and Liverpool and and that kind of thing at that time. And unless you played for them, or oh, and then when revy took over, obviously Leeds, you know, you, you had no chance of getting in the team. Uh, and that's why. I, you know, people like Alan, you know, there was, uh, we had another player, it's, it's so-called Alan Bloor, um another incredible uh, centre-back, you know. But they just never got any recognition, and uh, I can see why my my boss drank so much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but, but didn't, wasn't Alan talking to you, and he wouldn't shut up, and when asked, he said, well, it's the only time I've ever got a word in with you while you were in a coma. Well, it was my son. My
1: son coming. Uh, my son told me about yeah. it, Alan. And uh, he come in. And he said, he, he said um he, he said he was in there for about an hour, holding my hands and talking to me. And he 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 got he came in up a couple of times and said to him, Al, He says, you all right? And he went, "Yeah." He said, "I'm not finished yet. I'm not finished. I'm still talking to him, and uh, as if we was having a conversation." And uh, and it wasn't till quite a few years later and I, I said uh, I told him the situation and said uh, you know my Alan told me he, he he even named his son after me he, he was Algy, he called his son Alge and uh, um, I said what was all that about and he he just said um, well he said in all the time I've ever knew you knew you before uh, before the car hit you he said uh, I never got a word edgeways so um it's the only chance I really could speak to you without you stopping me. So, uh, so he sat there for an hour, just rabbiting away, telling, telling me, that, I suppose, telling me about games, telling me about the good, about the good times, you know, and how, you know, I always tried to help him and encourage him, and not, he didn't need you no know, encouraging how to play the game, but he certainly, he, you know, he. I, I think I told you before, he was the only what person when i knocked about with a manager that i ever spoke about yeah. because he he said he wanted a, he, he wanted to pack the game in I, I said to my boss you better sort you better address this you know you better talk to him you you can't lose this player you know and if he walks away from the game it'd be devastating you know
0: Absolutely, and while we're touching upon that, uh, Alan, he yeah, uh, I was interacting with him earlier, and he says you've got to ask him about the Peter McNee story when he taps you on the shoulder. God, who's Peter McNe? He's the one in the Avengers. Oh, and you, Patrick McNe. Pa- Patrick McNee and you were at, you were at a function. He said he tapped you on the shoulder. Do you, do you recognize me? Now
1: I, I did a I did a show with Patrick McNee when I uh, yeah. a, a radio show um, and he was quite a strange one actually he was he was a gentle, you know he, he actually seemed the same off off air than he did on it you know yeah. he, he was very strange he was um
0: planning for your next trip
1: Um, you know, he, he wasn't very outgoing or whatever, but um, it was um, it was just at the time when I brought my the working man's belly out and I was I went on the show in the morning as the Ed Sheeran show I think it was. Okay. Uh, and uh, it was the morning that Chelsea played Middlesbrough in the FA Cup final, really? uh, and I think he scored the. Uh, uh, the lads uh, yeah, the DiMatteo. Italians yeah DiMatteo. Yeah, he scored the quickest goal in mm, cup final goal yeah. with it. and th- that was the day we was we was on the show and it was a, it was a great show the, the two girls were on there that have gone on to do pretty well themselves both individually two young girls Mel um, and someone is it I don't know Mel and Kim but, yeah, is it yeah Mel they, and Kim were big We were at the time yeah yeah, well, they that uh, was the first time I'd ever known about it. Anyway, they were on the show, and there was another chap who was a terrific thing. It, it was a real good show on a Saturday morning. David Hemmings was on there. Okay. I was uh and I went round with... Uh, we all went round to the pub afterwards before we went to Wembley, and, uh, you know, David told me not to mention anything about when we first met <laughs> because he was with... Uh, um, we met at Lord Litchfield's home in, um, obviously, Litchfield. And uh, <clears throat> he, we met there. One, I went up there with Jeff Hurst. He had a fit in for a suit, and um, he was there. But the, the tailor was there, and David was sitting playing backgammon with uh, Gal Honeycutt, who at that time was a, a bit of a, a stunner herself so he he kind of give me he was with a young lady and he give me the eyes not to um not to mention anything so it was quite an eventful morning, you know so you know that that that, that was the kind of stuff that went on and and you got to remember you know at that time you know i was i weren't even planning at that time yeah. i was uh, you know that was wasn't uh, as i say the working man Ballet had just come out, so that'd have been ninety six ninety seven I'd have been forty six years of age, you know, and you, but but you're still rubbing shoulders with them kind of people, you know,
0: yeah, absolutely. And which I didn't recognize you that you out and doing some assaults. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, well uh, uh, you know um when you think he had the, some of the most beautiful girls on yeah. his show as well, didn't he? you know he yeah, did it, it was a good show, I mean it wasn't uh, I, I i don't couldn't understand the show. I didn't you know didn't know what it was all about. Yeah, but uh it was the girls were, you know, when you think he started with Honor Blackman
0: yeah. um and went on from there. Absolutely. Well, we're going to go back to 69, 1970, and the uh, the FA Cup, your major FA Cup debut, didn't you, uh, in 1970, against Birmingham. Against basically. you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and the record that we're going to be looking at, it was a good year by Frank Sinatra, and it was a good year for you, wasn't it, personally?
1: Well, it turned out a good year, yeah. and, you know, it, then uh, it went all fair shape, but... Um... Yeah, 19, I mean, I started 1969-70 season. I I broke into the team. Uh, I haven't. I played my real debut that year against Tottenham. Then we went on and uh, uh, it, it it wasn't... Uh, I mean, I played against Glenn Hoddle in his first game and you knew from straight away this fellow was going to go straight to the top. But it took me a few games to get going to get get up to the pace of the game. I was playing with people that um, you know, were at that time and and still are in my eyes of the you know, the best players Chelsea have had in, in Peter Osgood, Charlie Cook and Eddie McCready, uh the goalkeeper Peter Bonetti. you know, the, the, me, Peter Benetti and Peter Osgood were the three chosen to go to Wembley that year and to Mexico. So it so it was quite uh it was a slow beginning and but i i think exactly what you said Paul it's it kind of came alive um, the season came alive when we played birmingham at home it doesn't seem a very attractive fixture it you know it wasn't a, a chelsea manchester united or chelsea liverpool it was a, you know it was one of those games and it was uh, we were kind of struggling a little bit to break them down um and um, I made the first goal for Aussie, so that kind of my first FA Cup tie, and uh, made the first goal. It was so it's so, that kind of. I I wasn't really sure at that time what was going to happen in my life, and I, you know, I, you know, I, I wasn't, as I say, I wasn't tearing up any trees. I wasn't uh, not like George Best when he first came over from Ireland. He straight away was. Uh, they say he was, you know, you could see he was going to be something a bit special. But it took me a little bit of while to get going.
0: And love was growing at Chelsea, wasn't it? Which, which leads us into not a song that you've picked off your, um, your uh, your notes that you sent me out, but it was the first number one of the 70s. Although it wasn't, but it was because uh, two little boys was hanging around which hung over from 1969. So it was officially the first number one of 1970. Love Grows by Edison uh, Lighthouse. And there's a Chelsea, or rather a Fulham connection, because he was born in Fulham, Anthony Gordon-Instone, who changed his name to Tony McCauley. Uh, nine times he won the Ivor no- uh, Novello for, uh, for songwriting, and he wrote that song, with uh, a fella named Barry Mason. And Barry Mason actually went on and wrote Delilah, which brings us over to uh, Stoke City, uh, music by Les Reed. But when you look at these people, musicians, we've always said this on My Life, My Music, because that's what it's about, football and music, they're absolute genius, aren't they? Well, it's... um.
1: I, I, I don't, we, were, you know, we were too young in them days to yeah. realize, you know, the back, that you know, that's what I became so interested in music a little bit. Yeah. I loved music from word go from a from a, a much young age, age than that. But um, I'd started to study it more, and and once when, when I start to get to meeting meeting people like Elton, and you know, and then the, you do, you you look into their background and you. You know, and you you wonder how they do it, and and who's behind it, and um, that was that was that. I mean, that that was a a a great song for the times as well. That love grows. I mean, uh, and if you if you lived in the Kings Road around that time, and you know, with what was going on in the Kings Road, with with them everything, the flower power, and you know the girls and everything else, and the miniskirts and the uh, everything else that was going on. It was just the fashion and everything. It, it was just that that song called kind of captured the imagination as well. It was it, it was like uh, well, it was the swinging sixties going into the seventies, wasn't it? You know, it was uh, there was some fantastic music in those times
0: but i think if you look at and listen to love grows today it's still a fantastic song and it really has stood the uh, stood time hasn't it very very well i mean that start doom doom, 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 doom it just it just tells you everything from the intro that that song is going to be iconic uh, 1972 another uh, game you played in the uh, january uh, spurs in the, uh, the League Cup, the semi-final, when you scored a goal. A lot of people thought it was from a corner, but you're right, it wasn't. I was listening to that wonderful uh, podcast that you've done with Steve Perryman, and you said it it was a free kick, and it just found its way into the back of the net. And there was a song that was knocking around the charts, Crazy Horses, and you was like a crazy horse, was you, when you scored that goal, wasn't you?
1: Well, it was... Um... It was uh, another dream, really, because yeah. um, things things had gone bad for me in 70, you know, um, from a dream to a nightmare, yeah. missing the cup final, missing the World Cup, then coming back and winning the Cup, Winners' Cup 71 kind of brought it all back, but it didn't. I was still struggling like hell with, with the injury, and uh, White Hart Lane became my favourite ground. It was a ground that I'd, I'd always been taken to when, I'm my father in you know in in the early sixties, uh, and it just I, I think I was born really uh, to be a Spurs player. I should have been a Spurs player really because White Hart Lane was my my ground. I excelled at that ground. And I always did. But years after you know when, even when I um, when I went to Stoke, you know it was just the ground I loved. And uh, that particular night uh, we were we were we should have been home and hosed because we won the home leg 3-2. um, we went into the, the second leg. We were, we were drawing and, uh, we were about quarter an hour from the end maybe. And, uh, I think Martin Chivers took a long throw and it kind of skidded off. It was a r- really heavy pitch and it hit me on the inside of the arm. And, you know, uh, it wasn't a penalty, but given. And, uh, you know, from one minute after the, if, you know, if the place the earth could have opened, I'd have, you know, I'd have I'd have gone away because, you know, it was kind of a another a dream a Wembley dream gone. But we were playing superbly, you know, and um, and and then right on the on the final whistle, we get it was again another tussle between Oscar and Mike England. They they were always at it when they played each other, and thankfully so. Uh, Mike England jumped all over Aussie near the corner flag and uh, John Hollins used to try and grab hold of the ball and take all the corners and free kicks but I, I kind of pushed him out of the way and uh, you know kind of redeemed myself so it was one hell of a fluke but um, you know um I see plenty of them yesterday on with the FA Cup. Uh, the the luck of the cup is if you don't don't get no luck in the cup, then you ain't going to win it, you know. And uh, that was uh, but we deserve that bit of luck because um, I think I can remember telling you, I had lunch with Terry Venables the next day, and he told me he, he said that that was I've got to say I've played in some fantastic Chelsea you know performances, but that was the best I've ever seen. So, um, for him to say that, it was quite something.
0: And then, of course, you got transferred uh, to Stoke City uh, January uh, 1974. You seemed to get transferred throughout your career during January or late December, didn't you, Al? Yeah, well,
1: there's only two... I think what we spoke about there's only two chains of fault here, you know... Um, you know, there's something to do with nothing to do with Santa Claus, I know, but I, I think that the manager might might have thought, you know, he's gonna be no good for in the new year for a month or so while well, time he's had his Christmas parties. So we'll get rid of him. Uh, something I mean, there was something about December and January with me. As I say, uh, I don't know many people have missed uh, Christmas and New Year, but I did years later, uh, you know, I'm 70 now, but I've only had 69 Christmases in New year. Um, yeah, I, 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 kind of started, I kind of started so many new careers in January, um, which kind of worked out well for me, really, because, uh, it, you know, I, I'm a great New Year's Day man. I believe... You know, next year is going to be better. I've, I sometimes always do. I don't for I don't say sometimes. I for some reason I always do. I, I always try and be positive on New Year's Day and enjoy. That's my favourite day of the year. And uh, this time it worked. In, in 73, 74, it
0: worked. And on your notes on Living Chelsea, it seemed that uh, Frank was the best male singer, then Babs. That's Barbra were undoubtedly the best female, edging Ella Fitzgerald. And I left Chelsea, leaving Maureen behind with The Way We Were seeming the song that summed it all up, The Way We Were. And that pretty much sums up the whole of the podcast that we do, doesn't it? The Way We Were, looking back at the, that way. Well, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, I think I better rephrase that. I, I didn't leave Maureen behind. She refused to come with me. Okay. It was. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah. It was one of those times. Uh, it wasn't the the one and only time that that happened. But um, at that time, you know, it was. Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's something. It, 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 again, I mentioned the accident. Again, it, it seems to be that. Um, I seemed to be at my best when I was on my own uh, and I was I was left to go to Stoke all on my own Or I, I had my family my family were incredible uh, on that next journey to Stoke because you know they never missed a game home and away you know they would always get 10, 12, 14 tickets you know because they, they fell in love with the potteries as I did um and they fell in love with the manager as i did it and it was a great journey it was an incredible journey it was a, it was the most life-changing thing that ever happened um and um thanks. to listen to the rest of this podcast
0: please go to www.patreon.com forward slash srbmedia or just follow the links in the description thank you